Hello, everyone. This is Noah. And I'm Simon. And welcome to the Resolve Podcast. We're your resource for all things mental health, academic success, and personal growth. Devoted to helping students thrive and build the resilience to succeed in school and in life. All right, and welcome to another episode of the Resolve Podcast. We're here with uh, Safia, and she's going to tell us a little bit about herself and all the wonderful work that she's been doing. Yeah, for sure. So my name is Safia. My pronouns are she, her. Um, So just a little bit of a background in who I am. I am a first-generation immigrant settler. I'm a Black woman. I'm a Muslim woman. My family immigrated from Somalia years ago. So that's a bit of who I am and the background and um, perspectives that I bring into my work. Um, So I am a registered social worker in Ontario, and I'm currently getting my PhD in social work at York University. Um, So I'm a a researcher right now, but I also work as an educator and a clinical therapist. That's a brief bit of what I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what led you to kind of want to start exploring the mental health field and go into social work? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. I feel like my story was kind of all over the place a little bit. I think um, I always knew I wanted to work with children. I was very interested in children's mental health. So that's kind of where I started this journey into like therapy and mental health. Um, Back in undergrad, I was really interested in learning more about disability studies and also children's mental health and where the intersects of those are. So I wanted to work with youth and students. Um, I got into the field of applied behavioral analysis, ABA, um, and I realized that wasn't for me and it introduced me to a lot of social inequalities that happen in particularly youth, but also with disabled youth as well and with families and families that are maybe more diverse backgrounds. So that really pushed me into looking towards social work. So that's what really got me looking into um, a field that would allow me to maybe look at social inequalities a little bit more. So I went into my master's in social work, and then I was very fortunate after that to get a couple of positions where I was able to do clinical therapy work with youth, but also with um, university students as well, particularly black and racialized university students. And that just opened me up to the entire world of clinical therapy and all of the the skills and wonderful experiences and also hardships that I had through those experiences as well. Mm -hmm. And what are some of the uh, unique issues that uh, Black and other marginalized folks face when they go to seek mental health help? Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's, um, it's multifaceted and I think every single individual, of course, is different. Um, But I think as a whole, in terms of mental health in general, there's a lot of stigma in our society, as I'm sure you know, about receiving mental health care. Um, And then on top of that, I think within particular marginalized communities, there's a lot of extra stigma in terms of what that means, um, a lot of ideas or tropes around what it means to be strong and that seeking mental health care might be weakness. Um, And then also like a lot of societal issues as well. I think that a lot of times black and racialized people or marginalized groups don't see themselves represented in therapy. So that can be really difficult when you're going to seek um, support or mental health help um, and you're not feeling like your practitioner or your therapist really understands you. So I think a lot of the times that's something I've heard. 
Um, it's something that deters people away because it's already so difficult and takes so much bravery to take that first step. And then if you're met with either not necessarily resistance, but maybe even a lack of understanding, um, it can be really difficult to try to continue. And it might feel like those spaces aren't meant for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you elaborate a little bit more on that? I come from a neuroscience background, so I've uh, read papers about how you know, racist interactions can affect cortisol and stress levels and how trauma has lasting impacts on the body and the immune system. But from a psychological perspective, especially, uh, you know, during COVID where inequalities are rife throughout everything, what are the unique kind of consequences that you've been seeing as a therapist? Yeah, that's so that's so interesting. And it's also really interesting to hear it from the science background as well, because I, I really look at it from the, the uh, maybe social aspect as well. So it's really interesting to see those intersects. Um, but yeah, I think there's there's a lot of difficulties in feeling. I think the, the main thing might be isolation, particularly throughout COVID. I think everybody was feeling pretty isolated um, just from that experience. And then on top of that, I think it kind of exacerbated a lot of mental health issues for people. And then to feel like you didn't know where to turn for support or that there wasn't support out there that might fit your needs, I think would really highlight or make that isolation a little bit worse, particularly for Black or racialized people. Um, If you feel like you maybe can't talk about those things in your home or in your communities, but then also in these professional spaces, I think isolation is really key. Um, And then also, I think just like the economy, money, like being able to afford therapy. It's so inaccessible a lot of the times, um, whether that is because of representation or because it's just really expensive. Um, and I think that kind of exacerbates some of the the frustration as well. Mm-hmm. Especially in university. I went to the University of Toronto. And even though there is free counseling available, sometimes it's hard to get to. And other times a lot of students are worried that some of the information might be passed along back to the registrars or their parents. Yeah, yeah, university, um, again, it's wonderful that it's free. I think that's great that students have that that access. But again, if it doesn't really fit your needs, um, that can make it really tricky to feel like, again, there's not anywhere to turn. I know at the university that I was at, I was the only Black or racialized counselor on that team at the time. Um, so that makes it difficult for students as well if they're looking for somebody that maybe has the same background or experiences as them and not being able to find that. Mm-hmm. And w- why do you think there aren't a lot of uh, Black folks who become therapists? Is it kind of like they look at the profession and they don't see themselves in it and they don't go after it and it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy or are there sort of other reasons behind that? Oh, that's a, such an interesting question. I feel like I can only speak from my experience. Um, I think there's multiple layers to it. I think one, yes, that's definitely part of it. I think that um, it's still an institution at the end of the day. And as wonderful as social work is, and I support social work so much, of course, it also comes from a very colonial background, right? We're still in an institution that reinforces some ideas that aren't as friendly to um, Black and racialized people. So I definitely think it's a cycle in that sense. Um, As much as I had wonderful experiences in those programs, I also had a lot of racist experiences as well, unfortunately. So I think that makes it difficult when you don't see yourself, you're having these experiences, and then it kind of goes on. Um, But the other side of it that I think is really important to mention is 
there are black therapists. I just wonder if they're getting hired is the other question as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and when we're talking about therapists getting hired, are you talking about in universities and colleges or for uh, different kinds of brick and mortar uh, therapy practices? Yeah, I, again, from my experience, but I, I would say both. I think that um really interesting to look at how many maybe Black graduates there are. And um, again, I work for an agency, actually, that exclusively, um, maybe not exclusively, but largely hires Black therapists. So there's definitely a lot of Black therapists out there. Um, but then you look at maybe some other institutions and there's not as much representation and it just makes you wonder. Right, right. If if uh, all these therapists are here and students want to see therapists that look like them, why aren't they at the colleges, at the universities, at the institutions? Exactly, exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. And what is your uh, research focused on right now? Yeah, so um, I am just finishing up my first year, so I'm in the process of kind of finalizing what exactly I want to look into. Um, but I'm really hoping to kind of blend a couple of my passions. So I really want to get a better understanding of Black youth mental health, um, specifically with the intersections of poverty and or neurodiversity. Um, though that's both very, very important to me, kind of blending some of those social issues that I was talking about. So really wanting to understand and get more lived experiences and written realities of mm -hmm. Black youth. Um, particularly poor and neurodivergent Black youth. Right. And uh, do you have your own experiences with mental health that sort of drive some of that interest? Yeah, of course. Of course. I think it's so important to be so transparent about that. I think that, um, yeah, I think from a young age, all of the things that I was talking about are personal experiences as well. I think stigma, not really knowing how to talk about mental health or even what anxiety or depression might mean. Um, and really, really learning about myself alongside of my education, I think was something that was huge for me. Um, I think that learning about unlearning the things that we know about mental health, that it's not something to be shameful about, um, to talk very openly in community, in professional spaces about mental health as well. Um, I've had so many different ups and downs throughout my career, when it, whether it comes to anxiety, depression, um, and using strategies that work for myself as well, having my own therapist, that's something that I so strongly advocate and definitely have myself. Um, and yeah, just learning more about diversity, neurodiversity in general, figuring out um, really who I am and the ways that mental health really fits into my identity. It's it's so important and it's a large part of my work for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree. I should have probably seen a therapist before I had <laughs> mental health breakdown during grad school but after that mm -hmm. I kind of learned to you know throw caution to the wind and just openly talk about the experiences and it, it, it's incredible how many people in the institution that are researching science the science of mental health have no idea how to respond to uh any of these issues mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more I think it's um definitely takes some unlearning and it almost is like that idea that we have to be like at our very worst or at rock bottom before we can seek support. Um, and so strongly like disagreeing with that and recognizing that we could all use support. I think, um, again, if it's accessible, um, being able to get therapy 
is something that everybody sh should do if they have access to it. So it's so important, especially as practitioners who are talking about mental health, really catering to our own mental health and recognizing that everybody has various degrees of mental health is so important. Mm -hmm. And as a company for us, it's important to strive to a place where we'll be able to provide affordable and accessible mental health services for people because this is this is something that everybody needs especially uh for people like myself i was fairly high functioning even though i had a lot of anxiety depression ocd you wouldn't know it by looking at me but i still had a lot a lot of issues and i i think it's just so important to make sure that the resources are out there yeah yeah, I, I think it's so wonderful that that's part of what your like mission and your agency does, because it, it's exactly like you said, I think, especially as students putting yourself in like such high pressure situations, the support is so needed. Um, And then also us talking about these things as practitioners, I think it hopefully builds a sense of community and makes it less isolating and doesn't make it seem like there's something quote unquote wrong with people who need support that everybody needs support. Mm hmm. If there's something wrong with someone seeking support, then there's there's something wrong with, you know, the world. Exactly. There, <laughs> exactly. there definitely is at this point, though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's very true. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what kinds of practices do you use yourself to help yourself stress or any strategies or tips that you can share that you use uh, or that you're currently using in grad school? to uh, help you with your mental health? Mm, yeah, oh my gosh, I am still figuring that out every single day. Um, so the first thing, like I said, is I'm, I'm very grateful that I'm able to have a therapist um, that I've had for a couple of years now that knows me pretty well and can support me through some of those um, harder moments. Um, and then I think the other thing that I really try to tap into is like, not only self-care, I think that's something that's become such a buzzword, but it is, it's extraordinarily important. Um, but really recognizing what self-care means for myself as well. Um, and then also community care as well. I think in this society we live in, everything is so individualized all the time. I think people are pathologized and they're kind of seen as like, you are the problem and you've got to figure it out yourself. And therefore self-care is an, a you issue. Um, and that's not to say that's how everything is, but I think a lot of the times that's how it's marketed towards us. So I think also just recognizing the importance of community. Um, if you're able to be around loved ones or um, groups of people that you are like, that uh, make you feel good, I think that those things are really, really important. And that's something that I try to do. Even though I'm quite an introverted person, I try to make time to talk to people that um, that support me and understand me and be in communities of people like me, whether that's... Um, people that have the same identity as me, people that do the similar work to me, um, or just family and friends as well. Those are all really, really um, important strategies. Um, and then I think the other one, one of my biggest strategies personally and also in my profession is that idea of rest. Um, I think that's something that's kind of taken away from us a lot of the times and it's seen as like being lazy and rest is not something that we need to earn. Um, it's something that every single human deserves, regardless of how much work or productivity you've had that day. Um, just really unlearning that I need to like work before I can rest and just resting when my body needs it is so important too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it seems like everybody's always busy doing 10 different things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're kind of pushed towards always working on something, 
always being productive and we don't have the time to just slow down and take it easy. Exactly. Exactly. Definitely like that grind culture idea um, that can sometimes become toxic. Um, so I think it's just kind of unlearning that and recognizing that rest is just as important as well. Yeah, the only grind culture I subscribe to is my coffee grind. <laughs> you know, I love that. I'm going to steal now. that. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Uh, and are there any other tips or strategies or anything else you'd like to share with our audience? Um, I think the most important thing is um, really figuring out what works for you. I think that everything about individual health in general, but mental health as well is, is individual. I think everybody needs different things. And I think it's really figuring out the things that work for you. Um, and I think also embracing diversity and embracing the things and parts of you that make you yourself as corny as that might sound. Um, I think that a lot of times in society, there's this idea of like what it means to be either healthy or successful or happy even. Um, and that can be really really like typical in terms of the ways that we might see the world um and just really unlearning that and recognizing like what makes you you and the things that make you thrive in life and whatever that might be really tapping into that and pouring energy into yourself it's an absolutely wonderful way uh to phrase it thanks yeah yeah well uh thank you so much for coming on to the podcast to chat with us yeah thank you so much for having me wonderful And of course, a disclaimer, this podcast and all of our mental health learning and educational content is not therapy and is not a replacement for therapy. Please seek professional help if needed. Go to www.resolve2vs.ca to get the support you need. And that's all for now. We hope this was helpful in some small way. If you like our content, please subscribe and give us a five-star review wherever you are listening. Make sure to keep updated with all of our content on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. And of course, come check us out at www.resolve, that's resolve with two Vs, .ca, to learn more about how our services can support your needs. Until next time, take care. Theme song for this podcast is done by the band Mokuse no Maguro in their song Midnight Empty Street. <laughs>